0: Did you think we'd make it this far?
1: To a hundred? Yeah. If you would have told me back then, was that three years ago? Yeah. That we would have a hundred episodes. We would be posting them weekly. Yeah. Like without pause and that people would be listening to it. I probably (laughs) wouldn't have believed you.
0: Yeah. I thought that this was like a a fun little sabbatical project for you and that you were probably going to get sick of it. I was like, we'll do it for a season, and then I'm thinking he's going to get sick of it, and then we won't do it anymore. That's what I thought. We're still here, Shannon. We're still here. Hi, I'm Shannon.
1: I am Rami, hello, and this is Workplace Hugs, and this is actually episode 100. Shannon.
0: Holy crap, I can't believe we made it this far.
1: 100 episodes it's just like, how wild is that it, it only is, took us we've been doing this for 20 years
0: it is so wild i mentioned Five to, episodes a year yeah i mentioned to some folks that we were going to be recording episode 100 and they're like oh crap you guys have like a legit podcast like you're really in this i'm like i guess so we are really invested in this
1: yeah and hopefully by that point we'll have 100 listeners yeah <laughs> we we have at least 100 listeners because I know that I listen to each podcast. Um, okay, so we're going to do something a little different. It's special. It's our 100th episode. What Shannon and I want to do is kind of talk about um, our relationship and our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. how we kind of got to this point. What we're going to do is kind of walk through when we first met. We'll talk through uh, our experiences together, but I think the really important piece the thing that solidified our our friendship is kind of being in layoffs at the same point but being yeah. on different ends of it right one of us was let go and the other one was not but i think that that inflection point kind of pushed us both into very different trajectories yes i think leading up to that point you and i were probably on a very very similar path Yeah. and i think coming out of layoffs you and i went in very different um, trajectories, and I think only because of that moment having happened.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to unpack both parts. Like, the the parts of our relationship, which I'm guessing might be, I don't know, maybe fun for our longtime listeners to actually get more background on us and how we met. Um, and for sure, the layoffs, and really doubling down on that as a moment in time that I hope will be helpful and, and supportive for other folks.
1: Okay, Shannon, should we start at the beginning? Let's do it. Should we, I... should, we, should we get in our time machine and roll all the way back to March
0: of 2011? Yeah, it's crazy to think that's been more than 10 years ago now. Let's let's roll back the time machine. March 2011, we walk into Target Corporation in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we're in the same, what they called bait classes. What was that? BA in training? Business analyst in training?
1: Yes. Yeah. But it was like basically our training class. Yes. Can I uh, admit something? Yes. Uh, I don't remember you being in my training class.
0: That's, that's totally fine for you to admit that. I wrote, I was thinking too, like what were my first impressions of Rami? And the only thing I remembered is that you and, what was that tall kid's name? Andy? You and yep. Andy were like together all the time.
1: Hijinks, and- Shannon. Hijinks.
0: What does that mean?
1: I'm sure we were getting into hijinks. Because okay. Andy is a goofball. He's the best.
0: Well, and I thought that you were, like, the only things that I remember about you is that you were with Andy all the time, and you were in grocery, and I was in home, which were, like, two very different worlds from a Target perspective. Yes. And I thought that you had been a merchandising specialist at Target before.
1: So there's... (laughs) You've you've told me this so many times. I know. Um, So there's two different roles. There's, like, the analyst, and then there's the specialist, the... um. I, I wouldn't say that one is necessarily more important than the other, but one was getting, one was like a higher class of training. Yeah. Like the specialists had a much shorter training. Uh, they could get right into it. They kind of do all the background work. And yeah. then the analysts, it's a much longer training program. And usually specialists, um, if if they're really good, will then switch into analysts, but not a whole lot of, trajectory apart from that and then analysts really are on their way to kind of run the company
0: yeah yeah so i thought you had been an ms before and i think the reason why is because andy had been an ms before right Correct. And so I, I, I think that's how I got that perception of like, oh, you and Andy must have been like around the block and like knew the Target stuff together. And I was just learning the Target stuff for the first time. And I, it turns out you you were too, because you you hadn't been an MS before. This was your first job at Target, correct?
1: Correct. Correct.
0: And you were what I call like a non-traditional hire too, right? Meaning like this was not your first job right out of college.
1: Um, I guess.
0: Didn't you work in a lab or something?
1: I worked uh at a clinic like throughout college and then after. The interesting thing with March timing is you would think it would be full of people who had graduated like in December, but I think what it ended up being was a lot of people who had graduated the fall before and like hadn't at least for me like hadn't found that big thing, but you had already been working going into this.
0: Oh yeah, and like my group of girlfriends um like Candace, Rachel, Allie Laurie. It was interesting because we all found each other and we had all had jobs prior to Target and we were all in that training class. So I don't know. Maybe it is just like that timeline of it. But yeah, I had graduated college in 08. And so for me, I had spent a couple years in a sales career um, before Target.
1: You were tenured and seasoned
0: uh not at all in the realm of target or in the realm of like b2c you know consumer cpg world retail worlds
1: but you were like used to writing emails every day
0: i was used to writing emails every day (laughs)
1: like i feel like that's half of the the issue with your first job is like you don't realize how much of your time is spent just reading and responding to and crafting emails yeah that like i feel like a lot of our training was like yo you're going to be sitting at your desk like either in an excel grid or responding to emails a lot of the time
0: yeah yeah it was like
1: here's email etiquette like someone emails you you should probably respond to them like in a timely <laughs> fashion
0: no i suppose i was used to that part but like i had to excel was not some, like i knew a little bit to be dangerous but i had to learn a lot about like v lookups man you know that yeah. was all new territory for me Um, in that more analytical space versus the sales people-y space, for sure.
1: Okay, so I don't remember you, so we'll start with that. And you thought I was an MS.
0: And I I thought you were an MS (laughs) with, like, like coming into Target. And I think, like, also, well, I don't know if this is from my first impressions of you or, like, later impressions, but just, like, you were just kind of, like, a, a jokester you know like didn't take things too seriously kind of a thing was my perception
1: and I think my perception of you is the opposite takes things very seriously (laughs) and like is going to get everything she needs to and will do things and break through walls if she has to to get those things that she wants
0: yeah yep that's fair (laughs) especially for that point in my life so uh, I'm curious if you didn't know who I was in my bait class when did you start to know who I was (laughs)
1: So in the same way that you thought I was like super junior, you and your sisterhood of the traveling pants yeah. seem like <laughs> much more like seasoned group of women. Because I remember like in our training class, there were a lot of people like me who like got a degree, who knows what they did for six or eight months, right? Because I graduated in 2010 and yeah. then we started in 2011, in the fall of 2010. And so... There were a lot of people who were similar to me. There were a smaller group, I would say, of people like you who had come in with like a lot of experience, like a year plus.
0: I wouldn't and say that's a lot, a, <laughs> but yeah. I think there were
1: like two or three people who had like gotten their MBAs already and were like in our class.
0: Oh, I don't know who and those And there people were a
1: few people like Andy who were MSs had been at Target and like got promoted up. Yeah. And so I always saw you guys as like way ahead of us even though we're all in the same group um but i think it's when we're all like in positions then our little network is like oh okay these are all the people like don't you remember they were in your training class and it's like oh i don't remember them being in my training class but now that you say it they probably were in our training class
0: yeah and our training class was huge wasn't it wasn't it like 50 people or something
1: i was gonna say 60 but yeah i think it was a
0: huge it was a huge class Okay, so that's fascinating. So eventually, you did <laughs> figure out that who I was and that I was in your training class. Yeah, because you kept getting promoted ahead of everybody
1: else. Like it's hard to not stick out.
0: I don't think it was that far, like, but I suppose at Target, like, in in that competitive environment, like, even a month seems like dramatically different when it really wasn't.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's our training. You and I were in very different parts of the company. So coming. Towards the end of training, we didn't really interact as a class. No. Nope. Didn't interact with each other. And then we kind of hit this middle ground between the end of training, so let's call it April of 2011, through April of 2014. Yeah. Um, so you were in home. Where did you go after you were an analyst?
0: I went to merchandise planning operations, and I was the back-to-school expert. Which was really fun for me. And which was when like I first started getting a taste of other parts of the company more so because I had to interact with people in all the different parts of the company. And you and- went to pharmacy, right?
1: Yes. So did you want to go to back to school? Like was that when I you were in an analyst?
0: Um, I knew I wanted to go to MP operations and I knew I wanted to be on that team. I thought I wanted to be the company advertising expert because that just seemed so sexy. In hindsight, it's 2020. I am so freaking glad I did not get that job because back to school gave me a so much richer experience. Like I got exposure to all teams. I got much more exposure to the field and like how to interact with different people with different Did you get to go on the jet? I never went on the jet. I never no. went on the jet. Um, but it was just, I don't know, it was really fun. I really enjoyed that job a lot.
1: Yeah, that job is really interesting because it's so much planning and then you're like in it. Yep. And then it's like recap and then it's like, let's start planning again.
0: Yep, totally. It's like
1: feast and famine there.
0: So what was your pharmacy job experience like?
1: Uh, It was cool. So I wanted to actually, I was thinking about, there was two things. One, I wanted to go into like a newer part of the company. Or I wanted to go into negotiations because I really liked negotiating. Hmm. So what ended up happening was they had a role in the pharmacy team. And basically, they were like, we're going to staff up. And pharmacy was like a $4 billion business and it had never been profitable. And they're basically like, hey, we're going to throw a ton of resources at it. Can you get to profitability? Mm -hmm. Like that's the goal over the next two years or three years or whatever. And so we basically redesigned every aspect of how the pharmacy worked to try and figure out if we could make it profitable. Mm. We did make it profitable, but what we realized was that it takes a lot of infrastructure to make it profitable. And so I then, I think in June of 2014, had transitioned to manager and pets, but coming out of pharmacy, I think once we gave them like our full recap, they decided to sell the pharmacy to CVS. Yeah. So I don't know if we did a good job or a bad job, but either way they decided they didn't want us doing that job anymore.
0: Hmm. So what would you say was like the focus for you at that point in your career journey? Like what was your career agenda?
1: I think my biggest goal from the time that I started was to manage people. I really wanted to manage people to the point where my first summer and my second summer, I had interns mm-hmm. because I really wanted to manage people and managing interns was like the only experience I was going to get at doing it. Yep. And so my whole goal was to get to be a manager. Like that was it. Like once I got to that, I think if you said, okay, Rami, now what? It'd be like, I don't know. This is what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. Absolutely. Cause I would say that was my focus too. And that was why that team stuck out to me because it was a way to get exposure for a lot of directors to get exposure to you. Um, and to be more versatile. Like I would say target at the time, probably still today has like two sides of the business. There's like the, the long lead and short lead, you know, there's the, the grocery, Mm -hmm. the fast turning, and then there's the slower turning import businesses. Um, The other thing I was curious about is, would you say that you are a competitive person or not really?
1: So, this is interesting. I would say I'm a recovering competitive person. Uh Uh-huh. In that, we've talked about this before, like, I used to be so competitive that I would get thrown out of basketball games.
0: What? I (laughs) I do not remember talking about this before. Yeah,
1: like, when I was little, I was... I was I'm always like been undersized and so in basketball I would always like try and throw my weight around I didn't have much weight to throw around uh, and it would get me technicals and throwing out like basketball games
0: oh my gosh this is just like a fascinating layer to your personality that I didn't know about so before. I try
1: to subdue that aspect of me as much as possible but what I will say is in this context we've always talked about like you shouldn't you shouldn't try to replicate other people's careers, right? Like there's a million ways up a mountain. I think one of the things, when you start out in a training class together, you know where everybody's going, right? Like everybody's interconnected and it's like, oh, that person went to this, that person went to MP Ops, that person went over here, that person's like an assistant buyer, like whatever. Yep. And I know for me, it was like a really big chip on my shoulder when you got promoted to manager. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'm super like, I. I want to be a manager and mm-hmm. now Shannon is a manager like how what do I have to do now because now I see it's possible to to get to that point because you got promoted to manager one in April
0: oh god uh yeah that sounds about right I think May I started in Frozen but yeah like that's that's fascinating to hear my sense of you was that you were like undercover competitive like you wouldn't uh, you didn't want people to know you were competitive but that you really were and yeah, I, I was very overtly competitive
1: <laughs> You were very overtly competitive, Shannon.
0: I wanted to be the first one promoted to MP Ops. I wanted to be the first to to manager. Like, why? Looking back now, I don't fucking know. But I I wanted it. But
1: I think it's part of just being in the same group. It's like, I can be the first one, and people will know that I'm the first.
0: Maybe. I look back at it now, though, and I'm like, man, more to life. More to life. But alas, I was young and naive.
1: Shannon, that was over 10 years ago. Yeah, like we can look back on ourselves and be like, oh, that dummy! They worked so hard. Look <laughs> at them."
0: Yep, totally.
1: Okay, so April, May, whatever it is, you get promoted. You're a manager in Frozen. Yes, that puts a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, I need to become a manager. So I probably just start pestering everyone until they find in a vacant position that nobody else wants, <laughs> and uh, have no one to put in that place. And then we get to work together, Shannon.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now we're managers together.
1: We're in like June of 2014.
0: Okay. So you already asked, you already answered this question, but so you did always want to be a manager, right?
1: Yeah. That was like my only goal.
0: Yeah. Same. I can very much relate to that in a way that we'll get to it later, but in a way that I think that was like my ultimate demise in some ways, because then like once I hit it, I was like, well, what the hell do I do now? I have no uh-huh. clue. Um, how did you feel about being on the same team?
1: You're scary, Shannon.
0: Oh, tell me more.
1: You have it all together. You worked a ton.
0: I did work a ton.
1: And you had your hands in like everything.
0: I did everything.
1: And so like joining, it was like, okay, Shannon's like the, if there's any manager that I can like learn a lot from, even though she's two months ahead of me, it's or three months or whatever it was is like Shannon because like it already felt in your few months being there like that you had a really good grip of what was going on.
0: Ugh, uh, that is not how I felt. So that's fascinating. That was your perception.
1: And you're very, uh you were, I won't say that you are, you were like very intense and competitive. Yes. Which as a recovering competitive person was like a really nice fire to like be next to, Mm. to, like, spurn that in me.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I, for sure, I will totally own, I was really freaking intense. And it's funny that you say you had your hands in everything, because I can remember. Did you work? Had Brendan already left, or was... Did Brendan hire you, or did Christina hire you into that job?
1: Brendan, I think, was there for, like, a month or
0: two. Okay. Maybe a month. Okay. I remember Brendan saying to me stop trying to boil the ocean because i would like have my hands in everything and then i would collapse because it was like it was too much i could not do all those things and that frozen job was probably i mean i think for a lot of reasons one of which we'll talk about was like the total like bottom of the role for me at target like, I felt like a fish out of water in that job. I did not feel like I knew what was going on or what I was doing. Not from a people element, but it was just such a drastically different business than any business I had been a part of. So, it's fascinating that you thought I had my shit together because I did not feel like I had my shit together. <laughs> um, Did you like being a manager as much as you thought you would?
1: Uh, yeah, I think the highs were worth the lows. I think what's tricky is we were, what, two years out of having started, three mm-hmm. years out of being started? And so we weren't much older than the people we were managing. Mm-hmm. And so I think about myself as a manager a year after that, two years after that, now where I am after that. And it's just like, it's wild to think that they would let us manage people that young. Mm-hmm with us being that young like it's wild to me
0: yeah it is crazy and that's like part of the target experience that I could never ever regret I'm so grateful that I had that experience so young because it served me so well in a lot of ways
1: oh for sure I just I look back on it and like cringe a lot of like oh man look at all these dumb things that I did yep but you're like you're, you're like young and you're dumb so in hindsight like yeah that's what you're gonna do like whatever but it's like it's crazy to think that they have that amount of like belief or trust in us to do that.
0: Yes, totally. Was anything not what you expected? It would be like
1: I think so there's a lot of complexity in my department in pets. So we did we had all supply chains, so we did import mm-hmm. like the all the dog costumes and everything. And then we did, like, regular domestic, like, pet food and litter and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then we also had temp controlled because we had those fridges with, like, the oh, fresh totally. dog food in it. So, like, we were one of the only departments that ran all three supply chains. Yep. And then on top of that, they wanted us to integrate ahead of everybody else with our dot-com teams. Yep.
0: I forgot and about And so that.
1: The, the department itself was just very splintered because... Like, my two analysts that did import did that. That was, like, one business model. And then I had one analyst that did basically all of our domestic stuff. And then one analyst that did, like, our temp-controlled stuff. And then you had our e-com analyst who kind of did all of those things. And so it was just very siloed. And it was really hard for us all to sit down and be like, okay, we're all working on the same thing but we're not, right? Like, the import people are working on a very different business model than the person who's working on a domestic, right? Like, they're working on truckload optimization. Yeah. And the import people are like, I'm just chasing down my receipts and trying to figure out if I should be getting out of things or if I should be getting into things.
0: Totally. And then on top of
1: that, integrating, like, with our .com team, which no one had done yet, like added another layer of complexity because, okay, not only do you have the three different supply chains and your digital team trying to integrate, you're now taking basically four siloed groups and trying to make them a cohesive team when yeah. none of them work on the same thing. Yeah. Like I, I don't think I did a great job in that role because it was very difficult. But I also think that I was super inexperienced to have that Amount of complexity in a first role.
0: Yeah, it sounds like like in the world of today, it sounds like it would be more of like a manager two role than a manager one role. You know, like it would be. I forgot about all those complexities like with the supply chain differences, but I can have compassion too for like the integration part because I forgot Frozen was previously two teams and I was the first manager who was going to integrate both teams. But it was only five analysts. There was like a team of two and a team of three, which I was like, are you kidding me? Somebody was only managing two people. <laughs> like,
1: How great would that have been? Oh, my God. All, right, all three of us are here. All right. Shannon, you here? Rami, you here? All right. Third person, you here? Perfect. What team a cush job. What a cush job.
0: So it sounds like we both felt uh, like we weren't at our best <laughs> in those jobs. For sure. And and then comes March 2015. The light. Wait,
1: before we get there. I want to clarify something for everyone. I would, and Deanna, my wife, can validate this, I would have called Shannon my work wife. Shannon would not have called Rami her work husband. No. So I I just want you all to know where our priorities were with each other at this point.
0: Well, and I should say, too, I mean, if you (laughs) want to talk about that, I can remember, because you were on a different floor, right? Uh And I can remember you coming up and, like, stopping by my desk. And, like, you would just, like, say some, like, weird random shit sometimes. And I would be, like, you kind of intimidated me a little bit and, like, freaked me out a little bit in the manager role only because you were, like, so different. Like, you did not fit the target mold in my head in a lot of ways. Just in, like, how – I think maybe how relaxed you are sometimes. (laughs) And I can vividly remember – I would always, like, have a good laugh with you at my desk, but there would be other times where I'm like, man, this t- this dude makes me uncomfortable because I just can't read him. And I was, I felt really confident in reading other people, but I never knew how to read you. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next.
1: Then but it's working. Yeah. Then it's working, Shannon.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you were not, I don't know if I had a work husband at that point. I know in my... We'll, we'll get to it. I had a work husband later, but I don't know that like, it's not like I chose someone else over you.
1: Yeah, but you wouldn't have said it was me is the most important piece. here. No, I, There's I a wouldn't have said it was you. Of investment in our relationship. Yeah, at this point.
0: because as you put it, I had the sisterhood of the traveling, parents, <laughs> which was the four other women that I did the dinner club with, you know, did you know that we were doing that? We had the alphabet A through Z and we would pick a different restaurant every month and go out to dinner together no oh yeah it was a blast and we got to z before the first one of us left target which was like it felt like a victory
1: zelo's what was that place called zalo
0: zalo yeah we went to zalo for z
1: so few z restaurants it's good that you have one
0: yeah anyways okay so so now we get to the layoffs
1: now we're at the layoffs
0: okay so it's so we knew the
1: layoffs were coming This wasn't like a unknown thing. It wasn't like we all just showed up one day on a Tuesday and everybody was like, oh no, what the heck is happening? Totally. They'd been talking about it. They'd been laying the groundwork. Yes. They're like, we're running numbers. We got algorithms doing things. Yep. And basically we all knew what red Tuesday or whatever day of week it was.
0: It was a Tuesday. Yeah. Well, and I think they did like the higher level, right? Like the day before or something. So like you could see in the trajectory because even our divisional... I think he wasn't let go, but it was one of those things where it was like very clear. It was not his choice and he was pushed out. So wasn't Tom, was that his name anyways? Well, and maybe he wasn't your divisional in pets, but he was mine in, in DFF or DDF dry dairy frozen. I have to remember now anyways. Yeah. So yeah, for a lot of reasons, I think we knew it was coming. Um, So then we get to the day and I vividly remember parking at orchestra hall and seeing the calendar appointment come through on my calendar and you were texting me and you were like I don't know if you said like what room are you in or like which one are you on and we were not on the same one
1: which was interesting because it was a private meeting and so you couldn't tell who was even on your meeting yeah and so it was like oh I must have seen my meeting and said oh I'm in this room are you in the same room and you were like no I'm in a different room yep which at that point when you text me back and go, yeah, I'm not in the same room as you, I go, Oh, cool. My room's the one being let go. So let me pay attention to all the people in my room because we're all about to to pack up our boxes and leave.
0: Which quite honestly, I think I've said this to you before. That was my thought too. I was like, you were oh like,
1: this guy who's Rami's- like, weird, definitely not my work husband, <laughs> definitely getting let go.
0: I don't know. Like that was just like my thought. Um yeah, so so that's what I thought was going to happen. And I knew, I'm trying to think, when did I know? I think I knew the second I hit the room that I was in the wrong room. How? Carl Brecken. I could see the look on his face. It was like Carl, Stephanie, Lucy, and some HR person. These are like senior leaders in MP. And I could see, I'm getting chills thinking about it again. And I could just tell by the energy in the room. That I was not in the great room, and also I remember feeling like some sense of comfort because there were there are two other managers in particular that really stick out to me who were in that same room that day, and I was like, "Shit, I have nothing to feel bad about if flipping Justin and Brandon are in this room here with me. Like, these are two really great, incredibly smart, like intelligent managers." I don't have to feel super bad about myself for being in this cohort because these are two people that I really respect. And if they're in here too, then like, maybe it's not so bad. I think like that came and went in waves. Um, But yeah, I knew instantly when I walked in the room and I sat down and like, I just felt the energy of the senior leaders, I think Carl started. So then they have to like say the speech. So they have to like, I think for legal purposes, like read things off, like directly from a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. Stephanie was kind of like a rock and Carl like started to get emotional, um, which God, I might cry recording this. I still get chills to this day and I've emailed him since more than once up telling him how much I appreciated his humanity in that moment mm-hmm. because humanity felt in really short supply. And the fact that he allowed himself to emote and to like express sadness and grief over what was happening versus like just like strictly following this HR script. Like he still read the script, but he did it with like an energy that was much more compassionate. Yeah. Made so much difference to be like, oh, this is like a person that actually cares about what's happening to these people in this room on this day. What happened in your room?
1: Our meeting was like, the first thing they said is like, you guys are not being let go yeah like that's the first thing they said to us and then everything else to me in that time is like a blur because at that point it's like oh i know shannon's in the other room yeah like she's in my greater division so like if she's not in this room like shannon is gone yep like anybody that i don't see and what you do is you start to look in the room and you're like okay who's not in here yeah because those people are not going to be here um and I think it was just like a lot of survivors' guilt. Uh, it's so tough, like when the whole company goes through layoffs, and it's not based on it's not based on how well you're doing, it's not based on how well your department or division is doing. It wasn't based on anything, right? It was literally like a random algorithm. It, it was almost it was,
0: but it wasn't. What I heard is it was based off of like the previous year's review scores and your tenure. And like, so I was at MP ops and the target had a really shitty year. And so I was on company numbers the previous year. And so I was immediately going to be at a disadvantage. And then tenure, they there, most of the other managers in our, in dry, dairy, frozen, I think you were technically in a different division. I don't remember for sure, yeah. but like this, they had all been buyers previously. And like, they, this was not their first time around the rodeo. So it wasn't totally random, but it was a calculation.
1: Okay, but the calculation felt random.
0: Um, It didn't feel relevant to me in the sense of like it was based off of an annual review score from like a long time ago. And then the other thing that was interesting about my specific layoff situation is it's not like my job was eliminated. Someone from Canada because Target Canada had failed and was, like, tanking and going under, someone from Canada was sliding into my job after I left. And that was the whole part of it that always, like, was very confusing and frustrating to me. Like, okay, I wasn't the one that participated in Target Canada and had it fail, so, like, why am I the one that has to leave to make space for somebody else to come back from Target Canada and take my job? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That always felt funny to me.
1: Uh, Contextually... It's March of 2015. I am just about to finish my MBA at the time, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I would graduate in June. And I think for me, it was, oh, this layoff could be really interesting. Like, the the package they're giving everyone is really nice. Mm -hmm. Like, Target went out of their way to give everybody, I don't remember what it was, like 12 weeks of pay plus something for tenure. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just like, hey, you're getting laid off and like you're on your own. Mm-hmm. It was you're getting laid off, but like you got, you've got some money to get you started mm-hmm. and like give you some time to figure things out. Yeah. And I think at that point, because of everything I'd gone through with my MBA and I think even being <sighs> getting to that point where like you and I only wanted to become managers. Mm-hmm and so once we got there it was like okay what's next and i think mm-hmm. for me the thing that i thought was next was i want to work in a really scrappy startupy environment because i know how a big company works like i understand how cogs in a big machine work and how like best in class supply chains best in class forecasting best in class like marketing works can i take some of what i've learned and apply it to a small scrappy company and help them build really good infrastructure like that's where i mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to go next because I didn't know what was after what 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 my intention was after becoming a manager
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and so I almost hoped that I would get laid off, which is a terrible thing to say.
0: It's not a terrible thing to say. I know a lot of people that felt that way and and there was definitely a part of me that was frustrated that was like um. My my husband's company that he's worked for had gone through many rounds of layoffs, and they gave that option. And I remember feeling really frustrated, like, why didn't they give the option for people who would take a voluntary separation? Uh, but that, that wasn't what the consulting company told Target to do. So, no, I don't like you don't have to feel shitty for that. Like, absolutely. There's a lot of people that I think would have taken it.
1: And so I think it was like some amount of like survivor's guilt at that point like, for us in that room of, like, Mm -hmm. oh, we survived, but now we feel guilty that we're still here because we know that in that other room there are people who are better at their jobs than us and can have a better impact on the company than we would. At least that's how I felt.
0: So that's interesting. And maybe in that answer, you already answered this question, but I'm curious, like, what did you make it all mean in that moment on that day?
1: I think the big thing is, like, you are, at the end of the day, just always a number to a company. Like, you're nothing more. Like, you're a cog. And I've seen this because I've gone through layoffs in other, like, smaller companies. And it's still the same thing, right? Like, there's nothing that will keep you protected or safe anywhere at any point. And so you really have to dis... Associate yourself and your value from the companies, which I think is it's hard when you drink the Kool Aid and you're like locked into something, yeah. But it's like a really healthy thing to then realize is like the company does not care about you, does not care for you, it is not your family, yep. And like you roll the dice wrong one day and you're let go,
0: yeah, yeah. I think, uh, if I am to be really vulnerable, I think for me. For a long time, that was like the worst day of my life. And it's because what I made it mean, though I did say that story of like, I could look around the room and feel okay, because there were people that I really respected in that room. What I also made it mean is like, for me, it was rock bottom in my imposter syndrome. Because I would say I suffered from imposter syndrome up until that point. I would say that was part of the reason why I operated with such intensity was because I felt like I was so afraid of being found out. And for me, it felt like the day that I was found out, like, oh shit, they did know all along that I had no freaking clue what I was doing. And now they're telling me that. So I made it mean something that was really, frankly, like detrimental to to myself and to my mental health for like a long time. And it didn't matter how many people, like I can remember brendan and christina like both trying to tell me like hey we fought for you brendan was like i tried to say i would literally fire this girl on my team and take shannon instead but like it's like nothing that they could say in that moment mattered because it was like i had already made up my mind that they figured me out you know um
1: brendan wasn't talking about a girl He was saying you know i wanted to fire rami but they wouldn't let me so
0: no because he was in beauty at that point you know like he was managing he's
1: like I don't even manage Rami but I was willing to fire (laughs) Rami and give you his job
0: but like yeah so for me I think like I did make it mean a lot about me in ways that weren't healthy and like for sure over time I would say like Rami and I have talked about recording this episode for a long time and I haven't felt ready if I'm being really honest and it's like I just if I'm being really honest I think like at the five-year mark, like maybe just this spring, I started like letting that go and not making it mean so much about me.
1: And I think that it, and we're going to get into this, I think it, it in that moment, really defines what that next, like, I don't know, 12 months of your life were. Because a lot of it is like, Shanna now has these chips on her shoulder. Yep. And she's going to like prove everyone wrong. And if I thought you were intense- And scary (laughs) in June of 2014. I would say the Shannon that I knew in June of 2015 was on another level.
0: Yeah. That feels about right. I don't know if we're gonna get to this question now or if we want to do it later, but like how has the experience had long-term effects on you of being laid off?
1: I think honestly, it just like it it's helped me never overly invest myself into any any job or company. Yeah. Because at at any point something can go wrong. Shareholders could say we want you guys to trim the fat mm-hmm. and you don't know where you end up. And I think that has been a really good and healthy existence for me.
0: Yeah. And I would say it had the same long-term effect for me, but it was a it, it took me a longer time to learn it than it did for you. You know, it feels like you took that learning away right away. And then we're able to enact on it. And for me, I had a. It took me uh, a long. It it took me longer. (laughs) And we'll get to that part. But it it took me a lot longer to get to that place of realizing uh, that I was just a number, even though I was the one laid off. It was like I didn't. I was in denial. I think.
1: Which is funny because. You're saying two things. One, you're in denial about it. And then two, that it was like a validation of your imposter syndrome, which like there's like a really interesting tension there.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's
1: kind of what spurns you in the next time frame, because you literally at that point go from like a jog to a sprint, at least in my experiences with you in that time frame.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, so okay, so should we talk about like what happens next?
1: Okay. So I'm still at Target at March of 2015. You are no longer.
0: No, nope, I'm no longer.
1: So where did you how did you then decide what the next step was? Cuz they were out like companies were out hiring everybody. Yes. Like it was if you wanted to get hired in Minnesota March of twenty fifteen was your best shot, especially <laughs> if you had target on your resume,
0: yes, yes. So,, uh, I would not say that I handled the layoffs well at a lot of levels. One is that I really didn't give myself time to process my emotions. I did jump straight into the job search because um, I don't know, maybe this is like too personal. like what what folks maybe don't know about me is I wouldn't say that I grew up poor, but like i was I grew up a farmer's daughter. and so, a lot of my childhood, we were while we were land rich, we were very cash poor. And so I have a lot of um this is a big word for it, but like a lot of trauma around money and like mm-hmm. security from a financial perspective that really I think lit an unhealthy fire in me. So even though I had this severance package or whatever, I was determined to find a job ASAP. And I really didn't take time to process emotionally or energetically like what I wanted to have happen next. So within like days, I was interviewing. Within I want to say like a few weeks, I had a job working for a vendor of Target, um, and I used the severance package to build to pay for our, our beautiful kitchen remodel, which was great, right? But like I, I think as we'll talk about of like how I popped around or whatever that that was not a very healthful approach to take <laughs> to the process. So you were, and you were still at Target and like, had you, had, would you say you had made any decisions on layoff day of like, a okay, I'm still here now, but Holy crap, I'm not going to be for long. This is not a place that I want to be. Or did that kind of grow on you?
1: I think it didn't, it, all it did was validate my thoughts of like, well, and it's interesting because my wife also worked at Target and she was like at the end of her wits at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And when she didn't get laid off, she was like, okay, I'm quitting. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. So like she went through that process. And then it was really like, okay, what's the next step for us? She didn't know what she wanted to do. And it was like, well, I know I want to keep doing kind of operations. So where do we want to go? Right? Mm -hmm. Like we'd said, okay, there are a few places we really would be excited about living. One of them was LA. One of them was Austin. And one of them was Portland. So let's just apply for jobs in those places, and then if one of them hits, it hits, and then let's go.
0: But like, how soon after the layoffs was that that you had started applying? That layoffs were in March. Like, when were you applying for jobs in other cities?
1: Probably starting like in April or May.
0: Mm-hmm. And was it always your plan to leave Target after a certain point?
1: I don't think until. So if we flash back to when you, when I started as a manager with you, I think, and we talked about this in a previous podcast, right? Like I could see the next 20 years of my life Mm -hmm. working at Target, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, get promoted to this, become that, okay, become this. Like, that's just where my trajectory is going to go. And I think after the layoffs, like knowing that my MBA was almost done, it was like, okay, cool. Like... Let's go find something else. I don't know what that other thing is, but like, let's move to a place that we want to go live. Like we don't have kids. We bought a house really young, didn't have a severance package to remodel our kitchen. And so (laughs) we might as well sell and like go have an adventure.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah, that was just the thing I was curious about if you had thought that you would be there forever. I think I had thought I would be there forever.
1: Yeah. I mean, why not? It was nice. Yeah. Okay, so march the layoffs by June you and I meet. You're working again. Uh-huh. And you and I you offer me some Magnum ice creams cuz you have a cooler of ice
0: creams. <laughs> yeah, I was working for Unilever at the time.
1: Uh, you gave me a box of Q-tips?
0: Did I? I don't remember yeah. that. Yeah, the samples like, were There's a lot this is of last samples. Me
1: f- 500 days. <laughs> 550 days of Cleaning my ears out and ice cream. I was like, this is cool. You guys make Ben and Jerry's too? Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's what I went for was the Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, um, And I was thinking about leaving. Like I'd been applying places and had like some interviews and was like on. Basically, I had one foot out at that point. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because you went so quickly into that role. And it was like, oh, like Shannon is such a determined person. That, like, if she got let go, she's going to prove to everybody at Target that she shouldn't have been let go by, like, knocking this job out of the park.
0: Yeah, and I wouldn't say there was a whole lot of thought that went into the Unilever job, frankly. I think I was just like, okay, sweet. I was able to negotiate a 20% raise for myself before when I was making at Target. Um I don't know. Like, I- I'm thinking back, like, why did I make that choice? I, I don't know. I think I just grabbed at the first thing that grabbed at me. Um, because deep down, I think I knew that I didn't see a future for myself at Unilever. Like when you work for a vendor office headquartered in the Twin Cities, there's only so far you can go, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Think about Target. Target's in a a company of, I don't even flipping now, but like, let's say like 10,000 downtown employees. There's a lot of upward mobility possible. Then you go to a local office where there's maybe like 35 employees, there's less upward mobility possible. There's less opportunity to manage a team. And actually, I wasn't managing a team. And that was something that was just really, I'm just remembering that now, it was like really sad and hard for me. So I think, yeah, I had, I don't know that the something to prove had come up there yet, maybe a little bit, because I can remember having to sit on an opposite side of the table with Brendan, who was my boss mm-hmm. at one point, doing, uh, I don't know, some sort of presentation for the team he was a part of now. But like, I don't know, I think I knew that wasn't going to be forever, but it was an okay for right now.
1: But it was such a short time frame too. So March were the layoffs. Yeah. You were there. I think I started there in June.
0: No, I started there in like April.
1: Like I had
0: like zero time.
1: The ink hadn't even dried on your severance. Yeah. You already had a new job. Yes. And then when did you boomerang?
0: I boomeranged in August. So
1: August. Shannon. Yeah. April, May, June, July. Five months. No. Less than five months.
0: Yeah. It's like such a uh, trashy thing to do so to speak in a lot of ways like you know people have those rules of like you can't leave a company before a certain x amount of time but i deeply missed leading a team deeply and i knew that unilever wasn't forever and i had had a coffee with my old manager when i was an analyst and she said they're trying to figure out somebody who can backfill me on my team and they don't think anybody can handle my team but i know that you can Would you come back and lead my team when I move on? Um, And it was, of course, like really flattering. Right. And I knew I really missed leading a team. And I missed like having a, a place where I could have vision for my career, you know, that went beyond that role. And so, yeah, I boomeranged back by August. I was back at Target. And I can remember some of my mentors saying like, no, don't come back. Why are you doing this? You just, the best thing that ever could have happened to your career happened. Embrace it. Like, go. Move move forward. Your network just blew up in a lot lot of amazing ways. Like, get the hell out of here. (laughs) But I wanted to come back because at that point, I had something to prove.
1: Yeah. Okay, so you're back. It's the fall of 2015. I'm at the Honest Company at that point, right? I've moved. When did you move to
0: Honest? July?
1: July. Yeah. I think late June, actually.
0: And was Honest as rosy as you'd hoped it would be?
1: At that point, yes. Yeah. It was like scrappy. There were no processes. It was like we're selling more than we have. And so we were just like in a flux of chasing and trying to like get ahead of things. But we never even had enough time to like... At that point, we didn't have enough time or bandwidth to really even strategically think in the future Mm. to like get ahead of ourselves. There was only we were only reactive we couldn't be proactive which was really really fun mm. because the decisions we were making were not decisions we were even allowed to make at the pace that we were making them in target mm. it was basically like no holds barred do whatever you need to do to like make these things happen
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was fun yeah
1: it's fun to be in a place where you're selling a lot of stuff i think we forget how motivating Uh, good businesses
0: oh yeah and like instantaneous results I think that was one of the first things that I loved about being at Target was like you could do something and then literally like tangibly see it in a store that was always fun to be a part of
1: but it wasn't like you did a thing and then the next day it was there I remember like we launched a new product and it was, like, almost a year after we had started talking about it that I walked into that store in downtown. And it was like, oh, look, that thing that we did is now on the shelf. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Like, that was a very proud moment. But it wasn't, like, I didn't feel like it was super instantaneous.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. It was always... it. Yeah, it wasn't instantaneous. And even still, it was more instantaneous than some of the work that I had done previously. So it was fun to me.
1: That makes sense. Okay. So... Being my previous work wife and being someone that you had had as a work colleague,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I just like our different definitions of each other. <laughs> um, I was like, "Are you?" scared Anytime to I ask? was in town, I always tried to grab coffee with you. And so I remember that fall we caught, we got coffee and just kind of like it was like, "Oh, you're back at Target!" Like that's wild.
0: Yeah. I can vaguely, because I'm like, I might be blending a couple of coffees. But yeah, I don't remember. Like, how did I, I feel like I was, I I, I feel like I knew other people who would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you doing this? And you were one of them. And so in this moment, I'm thinking, how did I pitch it to Rami? Is like, how did I make it make sense that this was the right thing to do? I don't know. I probably said something about like, I really missed being a leader. And then they I needed need. my
1: expertise. Yeah. Does everybody know how to push? Yeah. <laughs> I know how to push.
0: Seriously. I know how to do pushes. It's
1: like they need my push in my yeah. seasonal back to school expertise here.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. So you were in betting. What were you in?
0: Yeah, I was in betting, so I had a team of I don't know nine to eleven analysts, depending. That's
1: insane.
0: It didn't feel insane though. Like I was honestly. Well, this is interesting to think about. In a lot of ways, I would say I did my best work on that team. And I was so deeply insecure. Like felt like I I remember vulnerably sharing with my leader when I was starting to crumble that I was like, sometimes I just feel like I have a boulder on my back of like me trying to prove to everyone else that I deserve to be here. Because Mm -hmm. a couple of months ago you told me I didn't deserve to be here. Mm -hmm. And I remember her and Stephanie Lucy, like her boss doing everything they could think of to help me try to get over that. Cause it's like, clearly you're doing great work, whatever. I remember they gave me um, stock, you know, they gave me a stock award. They're like, we want you to be here for three years until this stock vests. But I couldn't get over that feeling of needing to prove myself. Like it was, it had reached like a new heightened level of unhealthiness, I would say. So in a lot of ways I would say I did really great work. Like it was me in my sweet spot. Of, like, really having to double down on managing a team and, like, where I had a little bit more expertise. Uh, got to launch, like, fun, new, exciting things. And also, it was, like, the beginning of the end. Like, it was, like, a why am I back here?
1: But you ended up staying, like, another year, right?
0: Yeah. I stayed a year. I gave notice. So, we launched the Pillow Fort brand. It was a big project that I had been working on in February. I remember Nate and I taking a last minute trip to Kauai in March and sitting on the beach in Kauai and like feeling dead inside and just like, what am I doing all of this for? I've probably told this story in the podcast before and then coming back and like presenting in the boardroom in front of Brian Cornell, CEO, still currently the target CEO, and like all the executive leadership team with all of the other pillow fort partners. and like celebrating this launch and like how we did it and what made it a success And thinking, wow, I should be way more excited about this moment than I am. Like, I just felt numb, dead. Like, what is this for? Um, And then I got myself into therapy. (laughs) And by June, I knew that I needed to get out of there. And by August, I felt ready to give my notice. And I gave two months notice, which I wouldn't advise for other people. That was a long time to stick around knowing that you were going to be gone. Um. And I was I called it my retirement party because I think intuitively in my body, I knew I was never going to come back to a corporate role again. And so on my 30th birthday, that was my last day, September 30th. That was also the first day that Tilia entered foster care. Crazily enough, uh, I threw myself a retirement party.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: And I was out.
1: And that the sisterhood was there for you.
0: Um, parts of them, but two of them had already left target i think Uh. one for sure maybe two had already left
1: so now we're in i don't know fall of 2016 you've left target yeah the next time that you and i interact i think i'm now remembering this as a different time than what we have written down okay the next time that you and i i think connect has to be the spring i think of 2018 and i think we met at the butter tin
0: no, that didn't happen first. It didn't? No, first, because, okay, so, like, uh, yeah, whatever. Like, I leave. I'm doing, I don't remember being in touch with you. Like, did you even know I had left Target? I don't think so. Yeah, like, I left. I did my, like, sabbatical down in the pits of despair. Like, <laughs> woe is me in the darkness of depression, frankly. Um, and And we weren't really in touch. And then you reached out to me spring summer of 2018 and i was working i was beginning to see coaching is like what was going to come next for me and i was working a contract at the same time from like an income perspective and so we met downtown at the target starbucks i remember that so it was butter tin after that and then we did butter tin well i don't know maybe not we did butter tin like in the fall is what i'm remembering
1: okay that's probably right so to like go deeper into what we might create that's at the Target. Yeah. And we were just like in very different places in our lives at that point than the last time that we had met.
0: But I felt like we were maybe at a similar point. We were in very different places from where we were before, But I, because you were on sabbatical at that time, weren't you?
1: Yep. Yep. So you and I were, I think, in... I don't think I'd gone on sabbatical yet. I, that didn't happen until the fall. So I think when we met at Target, you were on your contract. Yeah, I was still working at Honest. And I think at that point we were just catching up and like we were so far from where we had been Uh that I think that was like the the start of our like our current relationship. Mm -hmm. I think is at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think so we meet then, we chat, then I come back, that's when I leave my job, and then I remember we met at the buttered tin. We talked a lot about you coaching. Okay. Because you were, like, really, really seeing that as, like, a possibility at that point. Yeah. And, like, trying to figure out how that would work, what that would mean, like, what groups or people you were thinking about. Yep. And I think that's when we started talking about doing a podcast. You
0: brought it to me. Like, I I remember getting an email from you. The way that I remember it is getting an email from you out of the blue and being like, hey, I have this idea that I want to run past you. And, like, again, you always kind of, like, scared me a little bit because you were volatile is not the right word but like you were unpredictable you were so innovative all the time like I never kind of knew what was gonna come next and so I remember being like well I know I'm curious enough to like hear what this idea is but I have I had like no clue what it was I don't think you told me in the email and then you were like so I think I want to do a podcast and I just remember being really nervous for the meaning in and of itself. Cause again, I never knew what to expect from you. And it had been a while since we'd seen each other. Yeah. And you, you hadn't really told me any specifics. So I just have a lot of questions. Like what made you want to do a podcast together?
1: Well, so it's interesting because I think you and I always had this very interesting dynamic
0: mm-hmm. because
1: we have very different personalities. Yes. We have different approaches to things. But I think at the end of all of that, the thing that has always connected the two of us, I think is we're both deeply empathic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where our focus has always been. And I think we've always had that that type of connection without having explicitly gotten there,
0: Said it. I think. Yeah.
1: And I always liked arguing with you.
0: Yes. And maybe that's part of what I'm remembering in terms of why you always made me nervous because I was like... You were not a yes man at Target. uh, And there was a lot of yes people at Target. So it was fascinating to be in a relationship with you from my lens. Well, and so then you were on sabbatical. What made you decide that you wanted to do a sabbatical at that point?
1: I think when you end up working for, I don't know, what, seven years? And you don't ever have a break. You kind of look at it and you go, whoa. Like, I just blinked my eyes. And I went from graduation into my first job, got my MBA, into my second job, and I don't know what I wanna do with my life. Yeah. Which is strange. It's strange how quickly time rolls past without you realizing where you are and what you've done.
0: Well, and I'm s- now more from the coaching lens. I'm so glad that you had the courage. And I do think it's courage to like give yourself that because it is critical in the process and like. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad to anybody who has the courage and the, and the opportunity to be able to give themselves, like, a little bit of a break to just, like, catch their breath. Did you have any plans for what you wanted to do during sabbatical?
1: Um, not really. I wanted to kind of, like, figure out what I wanted to do, which is, like, so hard. We talked about this a bunch on the podcast. Like, how do you kind of start to lay the groundwork for that? And it's like, well, you like figure out the things that make you happy. Mm-hmm. You figure out like the moments in your career that you've really enjoyed. You figure out like what you want to invest your time and energy into. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things for me was like starting to figure out like, how do we, how do I have like a a space to, I mean, twofold, right? I think the, the idea of the podcast was one, I wanna force myself into reading a lot more. I would say mm-hmm. br- like pushing into our podcast. I wouldn't say I was like a very good reader. I can I certainly know how to <laughs> um to read, but I-, I wouldn't say I read a lot. And I think it was our podcast and even just shifting into audiobooks. Yeah. That like really helped me figure out like, oh, I really like reading and 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 taking in knowledge and I think you're the same way and I think that's where it was like oh we both really like absorbing as much as possible like maybe there's a cool space for us to leverage that and and, and keep ourselves focused on trying to absorb as much as possible to to get it out
0: Yeah. right because
1: I think without this it's like oh I don't need to read a book right now but it's like no I need to read a book so that I'm ready for when we want to record and I can go talk about this thing
0: yeah I know for me I feel like my reading kicked up big time since we <laughs> started recording the podcast
1: for sure yeah okay so that's like the fall of 20 early fall of 2018 mm-hmm. you are coming out here for coach training you and i meet up we get that delicious shakshuka at uh we get the Angelino coffee we figure out our name
0: and the lemon ginger <clears throat> tea oh so good
1: we figure out our name is Workplace Hugs at that point. Yeah,
0: that was your idea, and I loved it. It was great.
1: And then, and the idea of the name, which I guess we never really talked about, was something that was like tension, mm-hmm. but then also had like empathy run through it. Yep. And so, whether or not it's a good name, it's our name, and it's here. <laughs> and it hasn't gone anywhere. And at that point, it was like, okay, should we, like, really? logistically like do a podcast and i think you were like on board i was on board i'd already done a podcast that we never published
0: yeah i remembered you sharing that because i was like i don't have the first clue about how to do this but if you do let's do it
1: so i felt like i knew a lot of what not to do and so it was really (laughs) easy for me to be like okay shannon here's kind of how we want to lay them out and i mean as you guys have been listening it's clearly like changed over time Mm -hmm. But I think we came in with a structure. And I would say for the most part, that structure is similar to where we're at. Yeah. But I guess my question for you, November 2018, we start recording. What goals do you have at that
0: point with our podcast? Oh God. I didn't have I don't remember having any. I feel like I remember well, and throughout the podcast experience, it's been an interesting role reversal experience. Cause I think I've always been like the driver, like high achiever, but. And it was weird for me sometimes to be in a relationship with you because, like, I think you had higher hopes of this turning into something that I did. Like, I was like, hey, let's just, my only goal was, like, to have fun and mm-hmm. talk about interesting things with a person that I found, like, interesting, you know, like, that had different perspectives than I did on things and some the same. So I don't, I didn't have goals for the podcast beyond just, like, make it through, <laughs>
1: Isn't that funny? Like if you if we if we flash back four years before then, you and I are working together, if you said, Okay, you and Rami are gonna have a project, one of you is just gonna wanna have fun and like see what happens, <laughs> and the other one's gonna be like very black and white about like needing a script and needing like yep. the notes written out, yep. and like very like, okay, we're gonna record it this time, this is what we're gonna do. Yes. We would have pegged each other in the opposite role. Yes. And then it all flips, which is really funny dynamic for us. I think.
0: What were your goals when the pod, when we were going to start recording? I don't know.
1: I just hope that someone would listen to it, and I think <laughs> um, it was a nice outlet for you and I. And I think the thing that validated, I think that I would enjoy it, was our continued coffees after we had both kind of left Target. Yeah. Was like it was just like a fun dynamic yeah. to me.
0: Yep. I agree. And it was like,
1: I want more of Shannon in my life. And so if i can if I can convince her to do the podcast, then she's forced to talk to me <laughs> on a semi-regular basis. And this might work out
0: well, and honestly, like it was it's it was and continues to be such a nice outlet for me because. Keep in mind, my life is pretty solitary now. Like, I went from, I don't know, like, leading a big team and always being around people all the time at Target to, like, now I have a life that's much more monk-like. Uh-huh. Um, and while I maybe talk a lot to clients, it's very much, like, their agenda, you know? And so, for me, like, Thursday mornings when we record are always a bright spot for me, too, because it's like, oh, I get to, like, have an opinion <laughs> and, like, yeah, uh, have... Yeah, a good conversation and a moment of connection. Maybe through the pandemic, too. You know, if I think about that, like, uh, it, yeah, I would say my lifestyle is a lot more solitary than it was previously. And so this has been a fun outlet for me, for sure. What about you? Yeah. I always feel bad for you because I'm like, you have like a, le- I have a legit job, too. But like, you know, just very different ways. Of working now.
1: Yeah, but I've always been in small companies. It's not like I have a ton of people. Yeah. And like that's true. When am I gonna go sit down and be like, yo, I just read this book about organizations. <laughs> it's like, let's talk about it. And they're like, Rami, I don't know who you are. You're weird. I'm not your work wife. Like, go talk to somebody else on a different floor, please. Um, okay, so let's flash forward again to May of twenty nineteen. Our podcast goes live. So just a little behind the behind the scenes here. Shannon and I record, I edit our podcast.
0: Yes, and I'm so grateful for that.
1: So, tactically, I do the editing of the podcast, and I send it out into the internet, and then it hopefully shows up on Tuesday mornings, and then Shannon does all of our social.
0: Which is so, not very impressive, <laughs> but we'll get which there Which I'm someday. very thankful
1: for, because I'm not good at social. <laughs> um, here's, my, here's my questions for you. Do you think about our podcast outside of when we record or you're doing social? Yes. I forget that it exists.
0: Really? I think about Unless it. Unless I'm like
1: reading a book and I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm going to remember that for our podcast. Yeah. Th- I like will forget about it.
0: Oh, and I would say that's the same for me. There are two moments that come to mind for when I think about it. One is like when I'm reading a book and I'm like, or f- frankly, sometimes when I'm choosing a book to read, and I'm like, oh, would we want to record a podcast episode about this? Maybe, maybe not. And then the second is sometimes in client sessions. Like, it's really nice to be able to give them an episode to refer to of, like, oh, hey, you're working on this. or You're struggling with this. Hey, you might enjoy this podcast episode. Like, no pressure.
1: It's just funny to me to think about, like, Deanna and I will be, like, out. I don't know. We have been out in a long time. But when we used to go out, Deanna would be like, oh, yeah, like, Rami has this podcast that he does. Yeah. And I don't think about it as, like, a thing because it's just like, oh, Shane and I record this podcast. It, like, goes out into the ether and, like, that's it. Yeah. Like, there isn't a whole lot of like people being like oh i just listened to that podcast and i'm like oh yeah we did that podcast yes like that happens every once in a while and i'm like oh i honestly i don't remember recording that podcast <laughs> yes. so don't ask me anything specific unless i have time to go to look at my notes because like i i don't remember that having happened because it feels so ingrained in in me that it doesn't feel like A separate thing that like actually gets done because now we just do it and it's just like a part of who I am.
0: Yeah, I get that. Like, I guess. Well, and maybe I think about it this way: like, I don't think either one of us would like use the label in an introduction of like, I'm a podcaster. You know, like I don't say like, oh, I'm a coach and a podcaster. I don't say that. I say I'm a coach, and then like, and then like, I'll remember because
1: it's embarrassing.
0: Not that it's embarrassing, but it's like because I forget a little bit and then I remember. Um, because it does just feel like two friends, like having great conversation. But then I remember, like, I went out to this new training, um, when I was in California a couple weeks ago and I was like, oh yeah. And I have this podcast and people are like, oh really? If I guess like, yeah, we're going to be recording episode 100 soon. And they're like, wait, what? Like that's legitimate. Like you, you like actually have a podcast if you've recorded hundred episodes, <laughs> I don't think of it that way. It's like I don't either. It's fun and I hope we can keep it with that energy underneath, you know, of like not letting it become a chore, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So um, how do you think we've shifted and grown through recording this together for three years?
1: What's really funny is when we talked about kind of the personalities we took on in terms of just creating the podcast, I don't think our personalities... Have changed. I think you're still fun and like loose when you're, th- when we're talking about it. And I'm still like very rigorous of like, we need to do this. What's and the plan? Here's how we have to do this. Like, <laughs> like, we need to get the nuts and bolts and like, how are we going to do this thing? I think, uh, which is really funny that like, I don't know that I'm like that almost in anything else. I don't think you so are. To be <laughs> that way in this thing is like so strange. I think we've gotten, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with just very, eccentric topics that almost have no pertinence on I think we started out and we're like this is always going to pertain to work yes I think we've slowly shifted away and said all right it doesn't always have to pertain to work it has to pertain to your existence as a human being and what have we learned that could help you be better yep or things that we've learned that we want to share because we've had an impact with those things Mm -hmm. and I think at the beginning we would have said like there's no room for that here
0: yes totally what do you think uh yeah, I would say the same observations of like how we've shifted and grown. It's interesting because I think I maybe was more type A in the very beginning with recording, but like for sure that's flipped. And I am not at all. I'm like fine to just like show up and see what wants to happen. And and you'll be a little bit more like no, no, no. But like really, like what's the that's like the 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 story arc of this podcast episode? Um. Yeah, I feel like I'm much more comfortable with showing up and seeing what wants to happen versus like forcing it or having a set agenda in my head before we get on to record
1: which i want to make a point of here you always have really dense agendas yes
0: i do i know and
1: and mine are always like really lean Uh uh-huh and so it's funny that you your your style is like let's just see what happens but you're very prepared yes where i am not prepared in a like written out way. Yes. I'm more like in my head. Even when it's your episode, I'm like, I just need to get my head around this. Yeah. And even without like truly seeing the whole thing, as long as I can get my head around it, I'm like, okay, we can, we can do this thing. Yep. Where you're like, I don't get it, but like, let's see what happens. Yes.
0: <laughs> I'm like, but
1: then you'll also have like a hundred pages of notes. Totally. To get us to that place, which I think is really fun.
0: Totally. And maybe it is the reaction to other, to, yeah, like, I'm not worried about like whatever you bring, like, Great, we'll we'll make some stuff up around it. And then, but yes, I do feel the need to be prepared for like whatever I'm bringing. That's true, that's a good point. Um, how do you think our friendship has evolved through recording the podcast?
1: I think it's been really nice. Like there are some weeks where you and I go, all right, we're gonna record two episodes today. Like this is what we're gonna do. And then you and I just chat for an hour and a half and we're like, we didn't record anything. All right, next week we really need to record at least <laughs> two. Maybe we need to push ourselves to three. And I think it's just like a nice space for us whether or not we record i just really enjoy our banter and i think there's sometimes where we're like oh we should have just record it now and like that was our episode yeah we're like all right we'll just get it next time like whatever and so i think uh i'm incredibly grateful to have you as one of my closest friends
0: same right back at you i feel like and my
1: only podcast friend and
0: my only podcast friend yes no i feel the same way i like I think when we started this I would not have said like we were close friends and now like I invited you to Chile's adoption today, you know? And like that's a big that's a big deal to me. You know, to
1: like And we all cried,
0: Yeah, and like to have you there. And I think too like it's fun for us to have gone through like parenthood together, you know? Mm -hmm. And like I'm really like I remain continuously excited to see how our friendship might continue to evolve in the sense of like parenting and kids and I'm a little bit nervous if our kids are going to like each other when they meet for the first time. <laughs> but we'll oh, find out. Yeah.
1: We will find out. I'm hoping it goes well. Me what too. if that's the thing and just ends. The kids like hate each other. And then we're like, they're like we don't we don't want you talking anymore, can't
0: Be friends. I can't Stop imagine. Stop talking that would be to the them,
1: case. parent.
0: Um okay, and then my last question is what do you hope for the future of the podcast and our friendship. I hope
1: we have as much fun as we've had, I think, in the first hundred episodes and we can keep that going. And I hope, honestly, I hope for you listeners that we continue to give you something week in, week out that you are getting something out of. And I think what I would love to see is an evolution of how we interact with our listeners, right? Like, mm. I feel like it It always feels like I'm, I feel at least once we record and we get the episode out there, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of this, mm. just having had the conversation with you. But I, I, I want to see us like really helping our our listeners and connecting with them, I think, in a different way than we have.
0: Mm. Where it's
1: not not a one way speaker, that it's more a conversation that we can start to have with them. Oh, that I sounds think that like would be fun. Really fun.
0: that sounds like a I lot of fun. And I'm excited to talk more about that and how we can make that possible. Yeah, I would say that that would be my hope, too. Like, how do we... How does it continue to get to be fun and loose and not stressful or not, like, a thing to achieve, but just, like, a thing that we both enjoy doing? Uh, Yeah. And how do we continue to, like, be flexible and give it permission in terms of, like, how ever it might want to evolve over time? Whether that's including listeners more, whether that's uh, changing the topics. Rami knows this is a thing for me. Like, I... (laughs) Rami is more comfortable going like way off topic than I. Am. <laughs> so that might just be a me thing, but those are my hopes.
1: Yeah, we'll push ourselves outside of our comfort zone.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Shannon, um, this has been episode a hundred. We did it. We we hope that you guys enjoyed us just uh vomiting our history of existence and our relationship. Um and are just really thankful to have you guys on our journey with us.
0: Oh, so much. So very thankful.
1: I guess with that, you guys, this has been our supersized 100th episode of Workplace Hugs.
0: Yeah. I've been Shannon.
1: I've been Rami. Thanks for listening.